Nation, there's so many reasons out there to start taking notes on the Rocketbook. I'll list a few. One, it's a reusable notebook. When you've finished with your notes and you've scanned them into their app, you can simply just moisten the page and then wipe off with a microfiber and you can reuse that page over and over again. The best feature about the Rocketbook is you can search your notes. You will never lose a note again, which means you don't have to go back and do the valuable work you've already done because you can't find it. It is absolutely one of my favorite tools. Go to our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash Rocketbook to take 15% off your first order of $20 or more and never lose a note again. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name is Trace Blackmore. I am the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And Nation, just so many things going on, so many things that we as industrial water treaters are expected to know. And my question to you is, how do you get to know all of those new things? How do you know what you know? But more importantly, how do you know that you don't know something? And that's the big question. How do you know what you don't know? Now, I've had a business coach for some time, and his name is Tim Fulton. In fact, you can search back in the archives of this podcast, and you can hear me interview Tim more than once. Tim and I meet on a regular basis, and he just asks me tremendous questions. And one of the questions that he's always asked me is, how do you know when you don't know something? Or what's the next thing that you don't know that you need to know? What an amazing question. And I, I want to say when he first asked me that, I wanted to throw a chair at him because how do you even answer something like that? But just thinking about a question like that allows you to open yourself up to all the things out there that you have to learn and also force yourself to learn those things. So what are some of the things that you can do in order to figure out what's the next thing you need to know that you don't know you need to know it? Wow, that's hard to say. But it's not as hard as it seems to do. I think the number one thing that you can do is you can do what you're doing right now. Listening to this podcast is going to get you to start thinking about things a little bit differently. You probably have some other podcasts that you listen to as you're driving from account to account. Of course, that's fine as long as you listen to this one first. You're going to get ideas from other people, and that's going to spark the next thing. What do I need to do with this? How do I follow through with this? What is it going to do for me? Who can I share this information with? I hope that you're reading books. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I used to read all the time with all the travel that I do, with all the different speaking engagements and consulting that I do. I don't have a lot of time to read, but I do use Audible, and Audible is a service that has pretty darn near any book that you would want to read, and you listen to it, and somebody's reading it to you, and yes, it is very weird if you have never done that before. It does take a little getting used to, and I didn't think I was ever going to get used to it, but now it is one of my favorite ways to devour books. 
And once you get used to it, you can even increase the speed so you can listen quicker than the author is reading it to you. You got to play with this, though, because the whole point is not to finish the book. The whole point is to actually get understanding from the book. So you don't want to go any faster than you can do that. So you just got to play with that. And some people might say, I can't do that and absorb everything that I need. And that's fine. The whole point is, is now you're using something else to figure out what the next thing is you need to know, but you don't know that you need to know it. And another thing you can do, and I hope you're a member of an association, one of the associations that I've been a member of, heck, I've been the president of this association, and it's just been so good to our industry. It's called the Association of Water Technologies, and awt.org is their website. If you practice the same type of water treatment that I do, you probably want to check out the Association of Water Technologies. You can go to our show notes page. We'll have some information on that. Some other items that you might want to consider, some other conferences, the International Institute of Ammonia Refrigeration is having their conference in Savannah, Georgia. That's an awesome place to visit. March 6th through 9th. So you might want to check that information out all on our show notes. In addition, the American Water Resource Association is having their Geological Water Technology Conference March 21st through 23rd. That's going to be in Austin, Texas. And then the Water Environmental Federation is having their Public Health and Water Conference in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's going to be March 21st through 24th. And there are dozens of more conferences out there. The ones that relate highly to our industry, I'm going to make sure I bring those to you. But I don't want you to just rely on this podcast for that. I'm hoping that you figure out what are the associations that you need to become a member of, or at the very least, just pay attention to. And that leads me to my last thing. And you've heard this several times, but I am just such a strong believer. And I know that you need this in your life. You need to join a group of people that help you identify the things you need to know that you didn't need, you needed to know. And of course, I'm referring to some sort of mastermind group. Now, we have the Rising Tide Mastermind, and maybe that's the right group for you. But regardless, you need to be a member of a group that you are pouring into other people and those people are pouring in to you. So if the Rising Tide Mastermind and all the things that you've heard me say on this podcast about the Rising Tide Mastermind seem like a good idea for you, I urge you to go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to find out more about that. But if it's not the right group for you, don't stop there. There is a group that is right for you. You need other people to help you see blind spots and to learn the things you don't know you need to know. Well, something that I know is our next guest, and I met him several years ago. I have been so impressed with this guy. I'm happy to call him a friend. I'm happy to call him a fellow mastermind member. I know you are going to enjoy this interview. Here it is. My lab partner today is Mike Byerly of Global. Mike, so happy to have you on the show. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O. Thank you, Trace. Happy to be here. 
Mike, many people in the Association of Water Technologies knows you as one of the youngest water treatment company owners and is just exploding. So I want to get into that, but I want to I want to take a step back because you just had a huge event happen in your life. You just got married. Yeah, probably the biggest event uh, I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, and uh, if Allie uh, listens to this, uh, she'll be happy that I said that and that it wasn't anything about global. Well, Mike, let's talk about water treatment. You and I are both water treaters. We both have very interesting stories with how we got involved in water treatment. Can you share with the Scaling Up Nation yours? Yeah, definitely. So I got into water treatment uh, because I never wasn't in water treatment. I was essentially born into it. My mother started the company that I work for didn't really understand what the company was or what water treatment was, but um, somehow stumbled into it in the uh, summer of 2009. I decided to take an internship with the company. And by saying that, it makes it sound more formal or like we had an internship program. It wasn't like that. I think my mom came back from, from work and I was back from college and I didn't have any internship. College was hard. I put a lot of work in, so I wanted to kind of take it easy, and uh, I didn't do any of the recruitment cycle for any type of formal internships. So, um, you know, my mother kind of approached me and said, hey, you know, how about you go ride along with Eddie, and he's going to be at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra tomorrow. And I'm like, well, that sounds kind of cool. You know, sounds like something I would uh, be interested in, not thinking about the water treatment aspect, but going to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and kind of seeing the the guts of the of the facility. And, you know, that just kind of took off from there. And, you know, I interned for another year and then graduated, weighed my options. I had some offers uh, coming out of college. And, um, you know, I, I, for some reason, took the lowest total value offer presented to me by my mother instead of uh, what else was on the table. You know, I gave her that good family discount and it started my foray into the water treatment world. I want to ask about your mom for a second, because there are not as many women in water treatment as there is men. And your mom decided she wanted to start a water treatment company. What's the story behind that? Definitely. That's a, that's a very good question. There are not enough women in water treatment. It's not a very diverse industry. We are looking to hopefully change that, especially with our founder being my mother. It's hard to tell that story without really including both my parents and also the background, their backgrounds. Uh, my mother is an immigrant from Mexico. She immigrated to Chicago uh, when she was five. My grandfather was a mechanic with the Illinois Central Railway, and they were short mechanics at the time. So they recruited him to and sponsored him and his family coming up to Chicago from Monterey, Mexico. My dad was a farm boy from Kentucky and ended up just not liking the farm boy life and what it could provide for him. Uh, and he decided um, after a, you know, a bad experience, uh, I think leaving some goats out or something like that, as the story goes, he sold his pickup truck and uh, had $52 and either hitchhiked or bust up to Chicago and uh, got a job as a janitor or something after being told he couldn't join the Navy. Both my parents are entrepreneurs, and I think that lends itself to their background and upbringing. You know, they, they fought tooth and nail to, to get every dime and uh, everything that they have. And somewhere along the line, you know, that, that just doesn't go away. So eventually they don't stop craving. They don't stop. The drive never stops. And um, both of them, you know, at different times decided they wanted to 
do things for themselves. So my dad specifically started an HVAC service firm in Chicago. So he was started as an operating engineer, figured if he could do it in one room, a mechanical room, he could do it in all of them. He bought one truck, then two trucks, three trucks. And along the way, met my mother. My mother never graduated from college, but she took some courses, I think the local community college, business-related courses, and had a job at the bank. So my dad's tradesman skills and my mother's business skills really complemented one another. And I like to call them a power couple because of that. They worked together to really take off this mechanical HVAC firm. And along the way, you know, my dad being hands-on and an owner-operator, although he had employees and it was growing, would interact with the clients and in, be in the mechanical rooms and open up boilers, cooling towers, absorbers, everything you could imagine, and see all the ills of bad water treatment. So, you know, after, you know, so many times of bringing this up to my mother, you know, in conversation, they said, hey, we know a couple of good water treaters that have kind of bounced around. What if we founded or we looked at doing something like that? Around the same time, the company was approached by a large firm in Chicago called Hill Mechanical. Hill was interested in, in bringing my dad aboard and his business aboard to kind of launch the operation side uh, where they would place operating engineers and facilities throughout the city of Chicago, as well as supplement their existing you know, mechanical service operations. So he sold. And at that point, I believe my mom was out of a job because Hill had all that infrastructure, you know, a CFO, the administration, AR, AP, all that kind of stuff. So um, that's when the idea really took off. My dad got really entrenched and busy with the mechanical side. And although he was very supportive of my mother and they still operated very much, you know, aligned uh, in everything that they did, she went off with the water treatment venture and opportunity on her own and really created a, a niche for herself um, in the Chicago market, a great reputation for a service-driven firm. And she was known for attending all of the events, actually walking mechanical rooms, doing all the bid walkthroughs. She learned as much about water treatment as she could without actually applying it and doing it. And, you know, still to this day, I find the notes from her that are beyond where I am 10 years in, 12 years if you count my two, two year apprenticeship. And it just amazes me. You know, she didn't carry a test kit, she didn't do that kind of stuff. Yet she was running the calculations, you know, to, to calculate the bids. And she was, you can even see her correcting notes from some of our field technicians and things like that. Um, and it just kind of is a tribute to, to her ability to adapt, overcome and her drive. And, you know, it kind of laid a legacy and a foundation that I was, I was lucky to kind of jump into at first. Mike, hearing you talk about the notes, I can't help thinking about when my dad passed away and I was the one that cleaned up his office and just finding all those. He, he had a computer, but I think it was just a paperweight to him. He would make all these handwritten notes and there was just so much knowledge within all of those notes. So don't throw those away. No, no, I've got them in the memory box and uh, they're locked up, scanned, and I've, I've got duplicates. <laughs> Outstanding. So you had an internship. Your mom offered you a job. You gave her a great deal, lowest offer that you had on the table. It seemed to have worked out pretty well so far, though. My question is, how did you start to learn what you needed to learn to become an effective water treater? Very good question. And honestly, I have to attribute that to uh, the people at the company that took me under their wing. You know, there could have been, you know, two outcomes here. I step foot into the organization and everybody says, oh, the owner's son, you know, what's going on? You know, what are you here for? And then there's the, the alternative. And that's actually what happened where everybody said, thank God you're here. 
we are glad to see that the Byerleys are investing, that Maria is investing in the company by introducing her son into the company. So I started out in the field. I started out shadowing individuals and uh, really, you know, learned on my own, you know, what I didn't know and uh, supplemented what they taught me uh, through these shadowing experiences and just through communication, through tools such as, you know, I hate to say it, but then the Nalco handbook, which was a fixture in our library and in the basement of the office. You can say that. It's okay. <laughs> uh, there was, there were, you know, great published literature from GE and, you know, obviously AWT. And at the time we had printed out all of the uh, PowerPoint presentations of all the AWT seminars that my mom and, um, you know, different members of the team would go to over the years. So just being able to go through that reference, all that and, and kind of self-teach. And then, honestly, we had great partners and vendors that um, really also took me under their wing. So, you know, I can call out, uh, you know, Gary Garcia from Masters, John Steele from Aqua Phoenix, you know, the guys at Lakewood, the guys at Advantage. I mean, all of these people, you know, were almost hungry to help. And, you know, that's something that's hard to forget, you know. So it, it's great to be, you know, where we are today to know that these individuals kind of helped us get there. And uh, they're still with us today, you know, providing these services. And as we grow, they grow. And, you know, it's a great full circle story. We didn't have a formal, you know, onboarding structure. We didn't have a training program. We didn't have any of that. As you can imagine, when I walked in, I think we had about five or six people. So everything was more trial by fire. But the gaps were filled. You know, people stepped up, you know, to get me where I needed to be. And honestly, I owe all of my water treatment acumen to everybody else, you know, that came before me in the company as well as all these individuals, you know, from the outside. And also, I have to say, our clients were very forgiving. The path that was paved for me with, you know, the relationships my parents had just in the industry, as well as the technicians that service the accounts, the account managers before me, they kind of set me up in a situation where I had some room to, to play, some room to find my way and figure out my approach to water treatment. So... I could try and get a little bit more automated, but then these engineers would say, hey, listen, what's worked has worked and I want to do it this way. So I appreciate that you're a young gun trying to take the next step here, bring in automation or web-based controls or anything like that, but I don't want it. And it's funny because that kind of shapes interactions like that shaped my approach. You know, they didn't go too far and kick me out because I brought up those and they very well could have. As we all know, sometimes you bring up a topic that people don't like. Sometimes they never forget, they don't forgive. And I didn't really have a lot of those experiences. Instead, it was a it was a constant refrain of people kind of keeping me on track, you know, as I was learning my way. You're very humble, Mike, but I know from working with water treaters that there's some people that they don't know something because they weren't taught it. And then there are people out there like yourself that just go out there and they find the next thing. I'm going to devour information. I don't know this. I'm going to take the responsibility to go learn it myself. What can you say to the audience to help promote that mindset? Yeah, so honestly, I think people, they're not afraid if you don't know. They're afraid if you don't communicate. And what I mean by that is, I guess the best way to put this is a story my dad told me or, or just an approach my dad told me, him being an engineer. He said, you know, listen, you don't have all the gray hair, so there's not an expectation of you having all of this knowledge. Even if you did, if you simply say, let me get back to you, or I don't know, or I want to refine my answer, 
you know, they, they can't poke a hole in that and they, and they can only, you know, accept that honesty. And it's one thing to say, I don't know, and, and not provide a solution. But I always made sure that if I was asked a question, or there was something I didn't know, and I couldn't perform my service, or I couldn't get a, a pump primed, I couldn't get a controller working, I always brought it back full circle. So no matter what, if the door was open, I closed the door, and then I made sure that the individual knew. And even interacting with employees, and you know, if if you know, it's the same same type of thing. Somebody asks you a question about, let's say, a comp or a policy or something like that. You know, you can't be expected to know everything in real time. But saying, "Hey, I don't know. Let me get back to you," and actually following through and getting back to them with a reasonable amount of time, and even if it takes some time, touching base and letting them know the progress is being made, that's something that no one can ever fault you on. Mike, you've got several years under your belt now, very accomplished water treater, but we all start with day one. And that first year as an industrial water treater, we're all drinking from a fire hose. We're trying to get a couple of sips of that knowledge. What happens with a lot of people is they learn what they need to know to do their day-to-day within that first year, and they don't continue learning. What's something that you do to ensure you're always learning something new? Honestly, I think that every day in the water treatment industry is uh, supposed to be a learning experience. And in order to learn, you have to kind of take the clutter of your own voice and thought out of it. And I live my life by listening. So if someone's talking to me, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say next or how to respond to it. I actually, even if it takes a second for me to respond, I want to actually listen to what they're saying and then from there react and digest that. And that, I think, allows me to retain a lot of information and to be a perpetual learner because in the process, you kind of become a little introspective. You're like, wow, I heard what this person said or this aspect of what this person said. I might have known this part, but I didn't know that part. And let me dive deeper into that at another point. So honestly, listening is the key, especially in formative years as you're getting into the industry or you've taken off in the industry. And honestly, I would say, as I continue to mature and, and to grow in the industry, the biggest thing that I need to remind myself is that my voice shouldn't always be the loudest one in the room, that there should be you know, less talking and more listening. You know, and one of my uh, tells on whether a sales appointment, let's say, or an interview went well is who did the most amount of talking. If I did the most amount of talking, then I actually think that I performed, you know, the worst or, or not as well. So my goal is to get other people to talk, to get my clients to talk and tell me what's important to them versus me being the one to talk at them or tell them I'm never going to be learning. I'm just trying to espouse everything I know in a situation like that. Well, I've been the recipient of that. I think we met maybe five years ago at an AWT conference, and I was instantly just amazed at how put together you are and how hungry you are for knowledge, how intelligent uh, your questions were and your ability to, to learn and listen. And it was that reason that when I started the Rising Tide Mastermind, you were one of the first people that I reached out to. So the question I have for you is why did you say yes? At first, when I thought about it, you know, you're, you're around competitors, you're around people that are kind of in your same position. You know, I think I was hesitant at first when you reached out because I was like, is somebody going to be able to take a competitive advantage? Is somebody going to be able to take something that we have, you know, and go use it or do it better? And then all of a sudden, the, the script kind of changed where I realized that it was more about accountability. 
And having a group like that or a resource like that could possibly hold me more accountable than anything I have internal to my organization or even in my life. So me being the president and owner of the company, you know, it's difficult for people to talk to me in a certain way or to challenge me as far as other people external to the company can. So when I actually sat back and thought about it, thought this was a great opportunity, Rising Tide Masterminds was a great opportunity to hold myself accountable so that I would actually participate and be involved. Uh, so there's a financial aspect to it too, just like going to the gym, right? You pay a, a fee to go to the gym you know, you're, you're more often to go to the gym. So self-accountability, accountability by people external to the organization, and honestly, uh, just a forum for me to listen and learn. So just because we're taking off and doing things, you know, well, in our opinion, doesn't necessarily mean it's the right, right thing. And um, sharing data, sharing, you know, ideas and thoughts is really, really healthy for the evolution of business. And the second that we you know, we might be collaborative internal to our organization, but the, you know, sometimes, you know, that becomes uh, too similar. The ideas are too similar. So having this external outreach and this external forum uh, to bring in new ideas, you know, at the highest level to our organization is also very, very valuable. What is something that you can add that I just can't say that help people understand what it is that we do in the Rising Tide Mastermind and why they maybe should consider it? I don't want to belittle what this is, but it's almost like a self-help group. It's a, you know, um, we're not alone and our industry is very unique and our daily activities and who we interact with and how we interact, everything is very different. And all these experiences can be overwhelming. And there are groups out there like Vistage. There are other groups that, you know, you can share experiences. They're very, you know, business oriented or they might be oriented towards, you know, a position, there might be groups oriented towards a COO. And, you know, you kind of commiserate over the challenges of being in that position. But to have people in the same relative position and sphere of operation in the same industry is truly unique. This is something that I think there there is nothing else like, like that out there for the AWT community, member companies, you know, members of those companies. And it's something that I think anybody, even at a very you know, beginning stage of their career to the most senior could benefit from. And honestly, my, you know, relationship with my wife has increased because I'm no longer just going to her for some of my, I wouldn't say venting, but uh, coaching or mentorship. I'm actually, you know, I kind of have that group of, of peers that can help me there too. Yeah, I don't know if you can see over my shoulder here, but that's actually my 10 year Vistage award. I'm a huge Vistage fan. I'm no longer a member. There's just a bandwidth time commitment thing with all the other things that I'm doing. But something that you mentioned and why I created the Rising Tide was I would bring a lot of the issues to my Vistage group. And I spent so much time trying to give them context around the issue. By the time we actually got to discussing the issue, we were out of time. And instantly, when we bring issues to the Rising Tide Mastermind, we don't have to do that. Everybody gets it. We can just dive into the issue. Exactly. It doesn't matter if it's talking about being a road warrior. It doesn't matter if it's talking about, you know, a technical issue. All of that stuff's a given. So you can jump right into the meat and potatoes right away. And I have noticed that our calls, our our groups, you know, the outcomes are quicker. The conversations are, you know, more in depth. And again, like you said, it's nothing against these other groups that are out there, there's just a hurdle that needs to be overcome before you can get there. Mike, let's shift gears a little bit. 
And if anybody has been around AWT, they've heard about Global. And it's probably that Global has acquired another company. And then they acquired another company. And then they acquired another company, which is just amazing. So my question to you is, you were an intern. You took this job offer. You learned how to be a water treater. Then you started taking over the company. And apparently now it's world domination. So if you could share with the Scaling Up Nation you know, what, what is the culture like at Global and what are you trying to build? Yeah, great question. And, uh, you know, you're, you're too kind, you know, <laughs> those words are very flattering uh, to, to me and to the team. But uh, quite frankly, we're hungry. We're hungry for growth. We're hungry for success. And we're, uh, you know, hungry for any pathway uh, that can help us keep moving the ball forward. So it's not necessarily one, you know, strategy of just dominated by acquisitions. Believe it or not, uh, we're a lot better at getting business organically uh, compared to acquisitions if you take a look at the split on growth numbers year over year. So being able to have, you know, be good fundamentally at water treatment and complement that with acquisitions is is certainly um, important to our growth strategy now and in the future. But how do we get here? Honestly, it was more of a sustainability thing. Uh, when I started, the company was in a bleak position. My dad, unfortunately, had some health issues before I actually went to college, and they got a little bit worse while I was in college. And my mother kind of stepped away from the business the day to day, and it just kind of sat there stagnant. So by the time I got into it, there was a lot of work that needed to be done just to be healthy. So my original plan was to see if we could make the business you know, stable stabilize and and then grow it from there. Now, my mother, you know, encouraged me to go and sell. Uh, Eventually, you know, once I did that, look at the profit and loss statement, isn't it exactly where we want it to be? I asked, uh, you know, can I get more involved in in, in that side of things, the cost of goods sold, vendor management, all that. Within the first six months, that kind of gets tossed into my my realm. And uh, we start making decisions to stabilize the company, manage costs, and then try and, you know, grow. So there were, there was about, I would say five years where we focused on ourselves before even thinking about an acquisition. And by the time our first acquisition came around in 2015, and by no means was it a giant acquisition, but it was an acquisition nonetheless, my mentality was actually completely against acquisitions. I was 26 years old and I was really good at that point at, at having conversations and selling global to get new business. So our organic growth rate from 2012 to 2015 was above 30% without any acquisitions year over year. So there was really no reason because my my mentality was, why would I buy? Why would we buy a company if we can just go and take the business? However, a vendor very near and dear to to Global Water recommended that I, I sit down actually with our VP of sales and marketing, Pat Morgan with a gentleman by the name of Ed Modestis, who was the owner with his wife, Regina, of Midwest Products and Consultants. It was a company that they had started 30 years before. And honestly, sitting down with them, I almost felt like I was sitting in front of my parents. And I got to hear their story. And at some points, their son was involved. At some points, other people in their family were involved. I, I learned about you know everything and all the trials and tribulations. And I was like, wow, I know exactly what you've gone through. I've lived it you know, through my life seeing my parents. And it, I kind of let my guard down to that whole, you know, angst against having any type of acquisitions or having to buy a company. And a lot of that was the encouragement of Patrick Morgan, just saying, hey, let's go through the process and see what happens. And 
uh, through the, you know, that time, Patrick and Ed were kind of balancing me out, moving me along. And it turned out to be a great acquisition. There were a ton of synergies. They were heavy in wastewater, heavy in uh, the industrial side. We weren't, you know, we were more commercial institutional. They had products that we could possibly sell into some light industrial accounts that could quadruple the sales of those accounts. So intangible benefits of an acquisition. So it was a match made in heaven. And it kind of gave us that momentum to have the next conversation and the next conversation. And that was company one. And right now you're on company. So we, uh, we've acquired officially nine companies to date. How do you know that it's a good fit for global? So it's kind of one of those things, you know, right away. You know, and I'm uh, one of those individuals that kind of follows my heart and my gut. My dad always told me, you know, your gut never lies. You know, and the first thought, the first feeling, you know, it can be shaped and molded, but usually it's right. So uh, when you sit down with these individuals, they sit down with me, you kind of know, or, or different members of our, our leadership team, we know if we're going to work well together and we're going to be able to embark on this journey, you know, together because global has, you know, certain goals. And we don't want to buy companies just for the sake of buying companies. We don't want to grow just for the sake to, of growing. We want to make this all about the clients and our people and acquisitions help us do that better. So when we are able to acquire companies that have solid cultures or cultures that are, you know, fundamentally aligned with our own, uh, that are people focused, that are, you know, growth focused, doing the right thing by the, by the client focused, you know, it creates this sustainability you know, within the first couple of minutes, if it's if it's meant to be, uh, if it's just, you know, I'll just say if it's more of a transactional thing, hey, you know, I'm gone within, you know, a month, and here are all my accounts. I mean, that that's one thing. And that's not necessarily, we're open to any of those conversations, and we'll have them. But in an ideal world, we're bringing, you know, an extension of our team, you know, to our team, we're bringing a very similar type of organization to our organization, and then infusing them with everything that global didn't have when I started in, you know, full time in 2011. So we've become essentially a platform to bring in these companies infuse them with capital, technical resources, technology, we've taken companies that had, you know, was still we're still operating with bicarbon copy reports, and just the sheer fact of having electronic reports, you know, was was the best thing since sliced bread for 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 their team, their field team. Being able to have those conversations and you know sit down with them in front of the computer and, and talk about it and seeing how excited they are, it's no different than how excited I was when I sat down with you know our partner at the time to start you know to bring that to Global Water. So you know to, to answer your question, you know a lot of times the if it's meant to be, it'll be and and it kind of plays itself out very, very early on in the process. Mike, after acquiring nine companies, and acquiring is probably not the right word, you've partnered with nine companies. What's the biggest lesson you learned? Yeah, um, I think that sometimes you can make assumptions that you are done assimilating and bringing things together. And in reality, it's no different than a relationship. You know, cultures coming from different areas do need to be fostered and continue to be fostered. So I would say that just, you know, just making sure that we're still conscious of the legacy companies. And that's actually a word that I was introduced to by our, our um, chief operating officer, Mike Landers. And he brought that to us. And it's about embracing the legacy cultures and the legacies of the companies that we've brought together. And as we started to move more quickly in the acquisitions, it was more, hey, let's get good at this and let's, you know, 
I hate to say it like this, let's roll them up quickly and move on to the next one. But slowing down and paying attention to that legacy and learning more about it and figuring out what made them great, sustainable, and even a company we would want to acquire. And how can we bring that into our company? I think that that's one of the biggest lessons where I'm glad we learned quickly so that you know in future opportunities, in future situations, we're going into it knowing that we want to preserve a lot of that and we want to learn about a lot of that and then maximize that and, and even you know duplicate that across you know, our entire platform. I'm assuming you have a process for all this. How difficult was it to come up with that process? It is still evolving. So every single opportunity is different. So just like we like to say, every client is unique. Every acquisition is unique. Every company is unique. And we don't want to be robotic about it. It's almost one of those things where we don't want to get good. We don't want to have too much of a formulaic approach. We really want to take each step-by-step together with the members of the team uh, that are coming aboard and with the former owners and plot that course together, make decisions together, and not necessarily handy, heavy-handedly come in and say, this is the global way. Yes, there are things that we think we do well, um, but there's also things that, that work in different regions for different companies, for different client you know, type, industry type, that we shouldn't necessarily force alternative approaches in. Mike, when you're 85, what do you want the world to say about you? Ooh, that's a that's a good one. Number one, I'm just happy I made it to be 85. Uh, <laughs> but I would say that um, ultimately we lived up to our commitments. That I lived up to our commitments. As we go about this, we grow our company. We have a commitment to our people. We have a commitment to evolve the careers of the people at our company. We have a commitment to our clients. Um, we have a commitment to the families uh, of the people at our company. So the list goes on and on. So it's very important to me that I and our senior leaders are seen as, as people that have followed through with that. And I don't plan on going anywhere. So I fully intend to be retiring out of Global Water, maybe at 85. And I hope that when that retirement party happens, people are saying that guy actually, he followed through, he did it. He did everything he said he was going to do. I'm betting they're going to have to force you to take that retirement. <laughs> Mike, what would you say your most rewarding day has been in water treatment? Honestly, I would say I'm going to get corny here and I'm going to say it was my wedding day. And uh, that's a, that's, it's going to be a long answer. So bear with me here. But you know, being a family-oriented business and a small business and independently owned business, uh, Global Water kind of infringes on the personal side of things. So I am very, very fortunate that my wife is super understanding of that and my biggest fan and my biggest cheerleader. And she asked for one thing and she was, she said, I hope and I, and I pray that you will be present throughout the wedding and the wedding process and the wedding week. And I will tell you that my entire team, the entire company, my chief operating officer, my VP of sales and marketing, Pat Morgan, Everyone went out of their way to ensure that I could I could actually fulfill that promise um, and that request to my wife, and it was just so awesome because you know I pour my heart and soul into this, and and so many of our team does. I'm not the only one, but to be able to for the first time turn my phone off for days on end and and know that everybody had my back, it it, it just showed the evolution of the business and where we are. There was a point in time where Allie and I were traveling in Paris in uh, 2016. We were over there for a wedding of one of my great friends uh, from college. And we were in front of the Eiffel Tower. And I had 
put international calling on my plan just in case a client or something happened. And yes, I I did take a call from a irate client in front of the Eiffel Tower as I was handing my wife a rose. <laughs> and she will never let me live that down. But hopefully I made some progress uh, with that, uh, with, with the wedding dedication. So. Well, Mike, I think we need a self-help group for each other because I have a similar story, but I was in Rome. Oh. <laughs> what is a little known fun fact about Mike Byerly? Yeah, so uh, obviously I'm from Chicago and I don't try and hide it. Um, everybody knows that. Maybe I sound like it, but truthfully, I'm a country boy living a city boy life. So uh, my dad's from Kentucky and growing up, some of my most fond memories are back on the farm in, uh, in, in Hickory, Kentucky. And honestly, that's my happy place. So when I think of home, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, but when I think of home, I think of Kentucky. I'm very fortunate that we still own the property my dad was born on, the property that was in my grandmother and grandfather's, you know, um, uh, estate. And we can go down there, my sister, you know, my mother, and and really kind of just let go and be there. You know, it's like no other experience. And, um, you know, with that, that means I'm an outdoorsman. I love hunting. I love I love shooting. I love um, fishing. And uh, we do have some ponds and uh, going out back behind the house and uh, just sitting there for two, three hours right before sundown and catching bluegill in the pond is probably the uh, best therapy I could ever ask for. You've taken some mastermind calls from that backyard. It's gorgeous. I have, yes. <laughs> We're all envious. Mike, what advice do you have for somebody that's just gotten into water treatment recently? Yeah, so I'm going to you know, go back to it. I've been saying it for a long time. I say it to members of my team. I say it to people that we interview. If you decide to go into water treatment, lean in. It is an industry like no other. There is something for everybody in this industry, from the business side to the sales side, to the creative marketing and design side, to the technical side. It is endless. And there's very few industries that are like that and that truthfully can impact industry, the environment, the economy. Uh, so this really has all of that. I didn't know that when I was going into the industry. And I'm just so fortunate that I had the entry point that I did, that I am where I am and got into something like water treatment, where honestly, I'm still here because the, the opportunities are endless. So oftentimes, as a, you know, in today's world, we all have social media, we all have our phones. And you know, I'm guilty of it, too. I'm bouncing between apps, I'm bouncing between stories. And uh, it's easy to get the shiny object and not stay on track, you know, uh, nowadays. Water treatment is one of those things where you cannot get distracted. If you're in this field, get in this field, stay in this field and lean in. Uh, it will be worth it career-wise. It'll be worth it as far as, you know, sustainability for yourself, your family, work-life balance. You can find all of that here. And oftentimes people do get distracted by that shiny object and they bounce around and bounce out. And one of the most disappointing things that I come across are people we interview, candidates that we interview that are between, you know, let's say they're at another company in water treatment, but they're also interviewing outside the industry. And I hate when they decide to go outside the industry for whatever reason, because oftentimes it's pro it, there's probably a cap. There's probably some somewhere where they might have to jump again. You can literally do everything imaginable in this industry. I love that answer. Well, let's shift gears just a little bit. And now it's time for the lightning round. Are you ready for those questions? I sure am. All right. 
you now have the ability to go back in time and talk to your former self on your very first day as a water treater. What advice would you give yourself? I think I would probably predicate it with, uh, hold on, it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> um, but I would honestly say, um, you know, I'd tell myself, trust your gut, make hard decisions faster. You know, problems and tough situations kind of magnify over time. So sometimes, you know, if it's an issue with a client and something elongates or it's an employee issue, you know, I kind of had a soft handed approach. I'm not saying take a hard handed approach, but be a little bit more definitive and, you know, be okay with being a leader, even though you are young. And, um, you know, I, I really think that had somebody been in my corner earlier on, I would have been a little bit more comfortable and there could have been some hurdles that I could have avoided that even today I might have, you know, repercussions from. Or those were the hurdles that you needed to make the decisions that you're making right now. You know what? I'm going to go with that one. (laughs) What are some of your favorite books? Yeah. So I guess I'll go with some of the books that I've uh, recently uh, listened to. Um, So I do a lot of uh, traveling and driving and whatnot. So Audible is the water treater's friend. Pretty robust Audible account. So recently, I listened to Green Lights by uh, Matt McConaughey. Uh, So that one was pretty interesting, hearing his life story, life experiences. And I wasn't expecting it to be a self-help or motivating type book, but it ended up being, you know, very much so that talking about how there are yellow lights, red lights, you know, so diversions or stops and, and, uh, you know, caution periods. But there's a way to live your life. There's approaches that you can take to ensure that you encounter more green lights. So it's an apt analogy to life itself. And, and, and learning about his approach was pretty interesting. I believe he you know, grew up in Texas and definitely has that Texas mentality and mantra, which might be a little bit different from the Midwest, especially the upper Midwest. But just his, uh, his theory and approach was definitely interesting. And uh, I happened to listen to that one, uh, you know, a good portion of it with my wife. And uh, she definitely called me out for aligning too much with some of those approaches. So (laughs) other than that, um, I love Trevor Noah. Uh, So um, I I read or I listened to uh, Born a Crime, uh, which is his memoir. And, you know, he's a comedian and you never really think about comedians being serious or the traumas in their life or what they might have gone through. But you know, even the title itself, Born a Crime, he was born in Africa and his father was European. So having that intermixing was actually so frowned upon. It was virtually a crime. It might have actually been a crime. Hearing all of that and how somebody could go through so much and then end up uh, being so successful and bringing so much light and humor to topics like politics or, you know, the, the pandemic, you know, trying to get through it, you know, it, it really just is a tribute to the strength of, of people and also kind of shows you that, you know, we have it good and, and trials and tribulations we go through aren't necessarily as robust or, or harmful or crazy as what other people go through. So it puts it in perspective. If a movie got made about your life, who do you want playing Mike? I have no idea, but I will default to a meme that somebody made of me back in college. Uh, so a, a younger fraternity brother. I dressed up as I forgot what it, what it was. It was like an 80s party or, or whatnot. And it got a picture of me and I look like Tom Hiddleston in, in the picture. 
uh, you know, Loki from, from the Avengers. And uh, for whatever reason, it stuck. People talked about it. And, you know, they say that I, that I look very similar or have some similar mannerisms, approaches, and things like that. Not to Loki, but to Tom. <laughs> Make that distinction. Yes. My last question, if you had the ability to speak to anybody throughout history, who would you choose and why? So I'm going to have to say two. And one is more on the personal side and one is, is, is more just, uh, you know, I think that reach in history. Um, so unfortunately, um, my dad had a, a stroke in 2007, again in 2009, and slowly kind of suffers suffered from dementia. Still with us, but he's, you know, really feeling the effects of that. I would say if I could go back in time, I would love to, to chat with my dad as an adult. I was always a kid, you know, when he had all of his faculties around. And, uh, you know, before that, I was or after that, I was in college. And then it, there, it really never matched up. So I would love to have a conversation with him. He was a baller. He, he did some really great things. I hear stories about what he did in the professional world. And I never had that aspect. So now where I am and the overlap with what he did, it would be great because I have those conversations with my mother. She lived this life. She did these things. And I enjoy and love and thrive off those conversations. If I had to go with somebody more popular in history, I would definitely say George Washington. I am not a chemist. I'm not a biologist. In college, I actually studied political science, history, and pre-business. So um, I'm a history and poli-sci nut. I love the United States. I love our founding story. I love the principles the country was founded off of. And you know, I look at somebody like George Washington, and especially in today's environment, I'd love to have a conversation about him or with him about what made him do what he did in di different instances. Some good, some bad. Some good could actually be some of the most consequential decisions and the best decisions in history of possibly the world or, or at least in the United States. Specifically, the, the guy could have actually become the king of the United States. He could, he could have consistently been reelected. He was a war hero. He's responsible for founding the country. He won at every turn once he started winning. But, uh, but ultimately, he went back, he retreated, you know, back to uh, the farm life. And if you kind of hear that farm and, you know, my country boy origins, uh, I just, I just, it would be great to have a conversation, you know, with him about what made him say that. At the same time, there were things that were not addressed in the Revolutionary War. And this is where I kind of nerd out about history, such as, you know, slavery, or, you know, women's rights and suffrage and other things like that, you know, where did he land on that? This great political figure that we idolize, you know, who himself, you know, had slaves. How do you resolve that? That's something where you want to idolize someone, but can you truly? And it would be great to have that conversation, bring that together, because it's always been a, a figure that I've wanted to know more about. Great answers. Mike, I want to thank you for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast and having the whole Scaling Up Nation get to know Mike just a little bit better. Well, I want to thank you for having me. I want to thank the Scaling Up Nation for listening to me, if you've made it all the way through. Um, but I also just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, Trace, because quite frankly, you and Scaling Up are one of the reasons that uh, piqued my curiosity in the industry. So when I first started listening to your podcast, I remember sending you a message telling you how impressed I was on LinkedIn with your approach and the conversation, and you, you responded almost immediately. Uh, so I just want to thank you for, you know, embracing me, mentoring me and, uh, you know, helping me along the way to, to help get me here. 
Scout Up Nation, I don't care who you are, you cannot look at Michael Byerly and just not see a successful individual. Mike, I hope to be you when I grow up. Keep up the good work. And uh, it has just been a pleasure to know you. And I look forward to seeing all the things that you continue to accomplish well into the future. Scout Up Nation, we had several people that wrote into the show and they said, Trace, we know you know Michael Byerly. How come you have not had him on the show before? Well, Answering the Scaling Up Nation, I made sure Michael Byerly came on the show. Who do you want to hear from? Is there somebody that I know that you want me to introduce you to? Is there somebody that you know that you need to introduce to me and then I need to introduce to the Scaling Up Nation? If you have any or all of those, please go to scalinguph2o.com and you can either record your voice by leaving me a voicemail or you can leave me a show idea by navigating over to that portion on the website. Nation, earlier I was talking about Audible and we have set up an affiliate link for you. It will get you a free book and a free month of Audible so you can try it and see why I love it so much. Of course, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash Audible to go ahead and claim that first book and that free month. Nation, before we go, of course, we've got one more thing left, and that is introducing James McDonald with a brand new installment of Thinking on Water with James. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about ways to calculate cycles of concentration, or as some say, concentration ratio. How many ways can and do you calculate this useful number? Do you use connectivity, neutralized or unneutralized connectivity for boilers, total hardness, calcium hardness, magnesium hardness, chlorides, silica, total alkalinity? Why can't you use pH? Can you use water meters? What are the benefits and disadvantages of each? What if the numbers from the various versions don't agree with each other? What added chemical products may interfere with the accuracy of these calculations? Take this week to think about cycles of concentration or concentration ratio and why it is more than just a number. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. Well, thanks, James. Nation, there's no doubt about it. Life is easier when you have people to do it with. It's also a lot easier when you know you're part of a community and you are part of the Scaling Up community. Let me know how I can help you. Feel free to reach out to me by going to our website, scalinguph2o.com. I'll make sure to have a brand new episode for you next Friday. Have a great week, folks. Nation, it's hard to improve the day-to-day when we are stuck living in the day-to-day. And for one hour a week, 
you can join the group at the Rising Tide Mastermind so you can work on the business without being in the business. That one hour will change every other hour of the week. It's magic. It's not magic. It's how we get together. It's how we process issues. It's how we encourage each other. And it's how we just form these common bonds around each other. And there's a camaraderie that I promise you will not find anywhere else. To find out more about the Rising Tide Mastermind, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.